Welcome back to the Ornithopter Flight Academy, episode 23. I'm your host, Brendan, joined as always with Josh. Josh, how are we doing this evening? Doing okay, a little tired. Fair enough, fair enough. Apologize to the folks at home this last month or so. We have not been the most consistent, mostly my fault. Between work and last week, I had some dental work, so... A little sore from that. Talking still sucks a little bit. Um, talking sucked a whole lot last week. But we are back at it today. Uh, before we jump into the show itself, uh, there's been some news. It looks like all of uh, Aftermath has been uh, spoiled in a very interesting way. Have you read up on, on this at all? Yep, I took a look at that. Saw the new cards, too. Yeah. We're not going to talk about the new cards, because we don't want anyone coming to our house to talk to us. Um, but from my understanding, essentially, a YouTuber um, got a really good deal on some cards from a buddy of his who owns a store or something, and those cards just happen to be Aftermath cards. I'm not accusing anyone of anything, I'm just saying that sounds real fishy. That of all the places for these to funnel to, it just happens to be a magic YouTuber. Just saying. A little fishy. Like, uh, the internet's freaking out. Have you read any of the articles about what how that resolved? No, I, I saw that it happened. I didn't see any of the resolution of it. So, like, every article online's like, YouTuber gets raided to, uh, uh, by the Pinker, uh, Plinkertons? Pinker. Pinkertons, yeah. Gets raided by the Pinkertons. Uh, Wizards of the Coast sent them out and everyone's up in arms because it's the magic community on Twitter. Um, they're kind of the worst and the best. Love you guys, but sometimes you're the worst. Um, so last night I watched part of the guy's video and he was like, yeah, so the Pinkertons came to my house, knocked on my door and my wife answered. They said they needed the cards back because they were stolen and that a Wizards of the Coast rep would be talking to me. So they gave him the cards back and that was the end of that. Um, and I just really sick of this. And there's nothing we can do about it. But in the magic world, people blow stuff out of proportion constantly. And this is just another example. Like, no one's house got raided. Like, that's not a raid. They didn't kick in the doors. Could have they chose a better security company with a better history than the Pinkertons? Sure. Um, but, you know, if you worry, everyone's so up in arms about what companies did 100 years ago. Don't buy Volkswagens. That's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> Twitter had me going, man. Twitter's had me going. Oh, and Facebook, too. So, that's not even the craziest alleged thievery that's happened in the trading card world. Um, as you know, Josh, I've been playing some of the Pokemon TCG lately, kind of waiting for the new set to come out and whatnot. And... The largest theft of all time happened um, in the Pokemon Trading Card Company. And I'm guessing you haven't heard anything on this? No, I know very little about Pokemon. Okay. So, this hit the news on uh, Reddit, because they were supposed to be uh, like disclaimers and stuff that it wasn't supposed to come out. Um trying to think of what set it was. So essentially there was a Pokemon set 
that came out. And Pokemon has a bunch of different rarities for the cards and a bunch of different versions. Uh, they do it like Magic, but almost better, because the cheap versions of the cards are still really cheap, and the fancy versions are really expensive. So they kind of hit both, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, just like Magic, you have, like, your hit rate. You're supposed to be able to hit this many boxes get you, or this many packs, or your chance of getting a secret rare is this, your chance of getting uh, a full art, blah, 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 is this. And there was one set that came out uh, like a year and a half ago, like 2021. So one of the sword and, sealed, uh, swore, sword and shield sets that came out. And everyone on YouTube, I guess, I wasn't really playing back then, but everyone on YouTube and Twitter and stuff was like, wow, the pull rates in this card or in this uh, set really suck. Like, we still open good cards. Everyone kind of felt like that. Um, and apparently what happened is a Pokemon TCG employee... As, however, it was set up that they were going into the packs, just took them all. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. It gets better. Um, he hit up uh, TCW, Trading Card World, which is a rather car, big card store in the um, um, Dallas area, I want to say. Um... So he hits these people up and was like, hey, I have all these cards. Send them a picture. Uh, it was Fusion Strike. It was the set, by the way. Um, and we're wondering if you purchase all these sets. Now, he didn't like try to sell them two or part of it. He tried to sell them all of it and all at once, which six to seven figure sum of money. Like, there was these stacks of these Mews, and especially because there's a scarcity of it, I imagine that caused the price to go up. But you can, like, see in the picture, uh, I sent it in the link I sent yeah, over the it. show notes. Yeah, you can see in the picture there, on the bottom right corner, there's a stack of Mews. Each of those are worth $88. That's worth roughly $40,000 right there. And that's maybe, it's maybe 10% of what's on that table. This could be upwards. Yeah, it's upwards like a million dollars. Okay, so the the trading card, the TCG or not TCG, the uh, this LGS TCW released a statement. Okay, and so in the statement they say that they were approached by an individual saying, "Hey, I want to sell you all this stuff. Do you want to buy it all?" Sends them a picture of all of it, you know, which is a crazy amount of money. Uh, and they go, "Hey, that's either stolen or fake." Right? Because that's, you know, the obvious answer. And the guy goes, the guy goes, no, 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 it's cool. I work for the Pokemon TCG company. I know it's all legit. Like, man, how stupid do you have to be? Like, here is a clearly large sum of money. By the way, I had easy access to sell it or to steal it, so I know it's real. Do you want to buy it all at once? So they contacted the Pokemon TCG company, um, and that guy's going to prison, I assume, for a long time. So and I just thought that was kind that's of... a pretty large theft. So yeah, well, and then there's crazy things because this guy worked for the TCG company, right? So when I buy a set, or you know, I buy a booster pack or a box, it says my odds of opening these cards are X, Y, and Z. 
Well, they weren't in that set. So then there's a whole discussion is do people have legal, can they had take legal action against the Pokemon company? They can. This? I mean, that that's the whole purpose of requiring a company to place the odds of product on the box is because uh, of gambling laws. And if they don't meet those requirements, then they're required to rectify that situation. And that's probably through refunds or replacements. It's maybe they can avoid a lot of lawsuits by replacing all those packs. But I mean, have no doubt this is going to cost them a lot of money. And this wasn't like Scarlet and Violet that came out a month ago. This set came out a year and a half ago. Here. Yeah, there's there's many, 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 many thousands of boxes <laughs> that uh, could potentially need to be replaced or uh, refunded. Yeah, 2021. Yeah, um, so I'm interested kind of on your opinion on does this... Do you think this puts something in place that other, I mean, because let's say there's a big lawsuit against the Pokemon company and it's really not their fault. I mean, they hired a, a douchebag, so it is their fault, but they weren't intentionally trying to rip customers off. No, this, this was not a, a, a company trying to get one over on their consumer, but as a company, you have some liability with your product. I think that, there will probably be some lawsuits. I don't think it'll be uh, for every single one of those that ever got sold, but who knows? I mean, there could very well be a big class action lawsuit. They'll probably lose a bunch of money and they will probably have some very stringent uh, security standards in the future, which is a good thing. Yeah. I almost wonder if in the TCG or like uh, like big companies, like Star City Games is an example. They open up a bunch of magic boosters. I wonder if they're going to give away some product to try to smooth stuff over with the large retailers that buy and open a lot of this stuff to pre-sell it when the set first comes out. So I imagine they do the same thing with Pokemon. Because that's the biggest, I mean, because most people probably don't care enough to get a lawyer involved. Like, you have to buy a decent amount of this product to actually get a lawyer involved so well unless it becomes a class action lawsuit gonna say, we'll be seeing commercials have you ever bought a pack of pokemon fusion strike sword and shield fusion strike between you know this date and april of 2023 all it takes is one law firm willing to pick up the case and you know one or two people that are willing to back it and they can turn it into a class action and i think that's a very possible thing that might happen. And I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people will be involved in it, but I mean, ultimately the the way class action suits work is the more people, uh, the bigger the bill for the company. So. Yeah, usually it's like the less money the people make. Class action lawsuits are kind of bullcrap to be honest with you. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, the the more people, the more money uh, the company is going to be on the hook for, uh, but the lawyers do take a large percentage of that. At 40, 50, 60%, somewhere in there? I have, I'm have. i not sure what the actual percent is. It might be 5%. I mean, don't remember that it's a large amount we're talking about here. It doesn't have to be a big percent um, to be a big number. Um, 
So obviously my previous appointment, we don't talk about that a lot in here. That line of work had to deal with a lot of class action lawsuits. Um, and usually it was like 50% plus is what the lawyer got. 40 to 60, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. I digress. I just thought that was really interesting. I guess I never really thought, because like, I listened to how magic cards are made, and they're, the packs are randomly shuffled, and like they come off the printer and sheets, and then are randomly cut and put into packs. I guess I never really thought about how much human interaction happens between the two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I assumed that we can't be that far from it being that automated. Like, it comes off the printer sheet, gets cut, and a robot stuffs it in a pack. I imagine I mean, we're not that far away from it, I, right? I, I've designed systems that would be more than capable of doing that. So, yeah, I mean, it would not be hard to uh, print it, cut it, and pack it with next to zero human interaction. Yeah. So. Unfortunate event. I just thought it was worth mentioning because I do think this can affect Magic and other TCGs going forward. And with the the Magic news that happened this week, it kind of tied in. But I think I've <laughs> rambled enough on that. Uh, how? What do you think of uh, March of the Machine so far? Have you been playing it at all? I've done some sealed in a draft. Nothing too much with it. Uh, I think the set's kind of fun to play in limited. Uh, it's a slower set. <clears throat> Um, I don't know. I'm not over the moon for it. Yeah, I'm going to wait a couple weeks. Um, I mean, we do have a pro tour in like two and week and a half. So I, I guess we'll really see how much it shakes up standard then. I'm sure we're in a weird spot where a lot of people aren't wanting to test on Magic Online because of that. Maybe they are because it's open deck lists. But... Um, there's nothing that really screams, come, this is what you want to play. Like, uh, I took a break and played a little bit of Legacy, then some drafts, raged out losing, you watching me lose at, uh, some Nephorexia drafts. Always a good time. But, yeah, you, uh, you got out of those games pretty quick sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, I, uh, I might have messed up taking my meds and was a real angry person for a day. And so, like, I missed my third land drop. This game sucks. I quit. That happened a lot. A lot, a lot, yeah. It was fun, though. It got me through my funk. Um, but I guess I'm ready to move into our main topic, unless there's anything else you want to touch on before we dive in. No, let's, let's uh, talk formats. So this week we decided we've talked about we've talked about talking about this before off air um and it's fan made formats and the first one that kind of brought it up is uh war games where you work you guys discovered you have a bajillion dandans they're almost all gone now <laughs> had a bajillion yeah uh, most of them and Dan Dan's like a $4 card. Do you mind reminding everyone of what Dan Dan does? It's a two-mana 4-1 that has Island Home and Island Walk. Um, so Island Homes, it can't attack unless it you have an island, right? Yeah. Okay. 
So yeah, it's uh, two blue for a four one, and it can't attack unless uh, they have an island, and that's island walk. Uh, or I'm sorry, can't attack if they uh, unless they have an island, and it dies if you don't have an island. It doesn't have island walk; it only has island home. But it's a yeah. two mana four one. Um, and it's a so, fish. That's important. It's a fish. It is. Uh, the art on it's super cool. The more I look at it, the more I like it. So, Rhystic Studies released a video on it. That's how I found out about this. It's been a thing for a while, I guess. And TCG player, uh, Harry Becker, wrote an article on it earlier this month that ex- pretty much breaks down what the format is. And so, in the original form, you have 10 Dandandans in your deck. It's an 80-card deck. And... Uh, eight memory lapses. I'm trying to think if there was any other weird number of cards. But you guys share a deck, and the only creature's Dan Dan. And so, since you share a deck, cards like memory lapse, like I counter your Dan Dan, put it on top of your deck, and then I get to draw your Dan Dan, uh, had pretty interesting effects. And I think this format's super interesting. A lot of people build a deck there's multiple different versions of this with different cards so you, you build your 80 card deck and then you take it to events they play in between rounds and originally it was set up to kind of be a blue tempo mirror and how to navigate that um i don't know what do you think of uh the forgetful fish format i've always liked uh interesting and unique ways to play magic so like i, I think it's great i think there's a lot of fun to uh to play around with uh if you can get People that are interested in in playing your you know custom creation, they can be a blast. Yeah, they're, and it's they're different. Yeah, and, and playing anything, and this deck looks super cheap. Besides the fact that Dan Dan's expensive, I don't actually know if this is why Dan Dan's worth like a few bucks. But so Dan Dan was worth thirty cents. Uh, what two three months ago? So uh, it was it was Ristic Studies. Um, show on it that really cranked up the popularity i mean in addition to other cards cards like magical hack and and um things that change the land home ability uh to kill dan dan's things like that are seeing uh, a lot more purchasing basically people got excited about this format and they are building forgetful fish decks yeah, and it's super fun because it's not something you can kind of update it. It's it's like a board game. It's I mean, we people say like Commander is a board game or this is a board game format, but but this really kind of is a board game um, where you guys are playing with the same amount of resources. Um, and there's all sorts of players. I'm seeing some people are want, talking about doing it, but with mono red, like a burn version where you're, you share a deck or whatever, um, which would be interesting. Some people play like blue black. Um, some people take out cards like Crystal Spray, yep. uh, because that is very, very strong. Uh, Crystal Spray, it's like an unplayable card in most formats. It's two and a blue. It says change the text of target spell or permanent by replacing all instances of one color word or basic land type with another until end of turn. So pretty That's much what I was change... saying, cards like Magical Hack and stuff too. Yeah, those, Magical those Hack, the one mana one? Magical Hack was the first one that was, um way back in old base sets. 
But yeah. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of versions of that card. All those types of cards are seeing a lot more popularity, and most of them aren't really going up in price too much. But they're they're selling a lot better. Like people are buying them now. Yeah, if you've been playing a while, um, check uh, check your bulk. See if you got some Dan Dan laying around. It's printed a few times. Yeah, they're worth three, four bucks, depending on which ones you got. They've only been in a few sets. They were in Chronicles. They were in Fifth Edition. They were a um, time shifted card in Time Spiral. The cheapest near mint time shifted ones nine bucks. So time shifted ones have been worth a few bucks for a while, and that's probably just because they were slightly rarer than everything else. Uh, it's just a nature of the the time shifted that was like the first mystical archive style thing that they did. Um, but fifth edition and chronicles ones were worth next to nothing for up until recently, where they suddenly shot way up in price. Weird how magic does that. Um, maybe one day we'll we'll build a forgetful fish deck, play it against each other. That would be fun. I, I always love playing these uh, types of formats. They are a blast. I'll let you uh, talk about our next format. And for you, though, that don't homeboard, today we decided just to talk about uh, fan-made formats because there's more than one way to play magic. Some fan-made formats become sanctioned formats, and some of them don't. Some of them are a little crazy, like Forgetful Fish. And uh, the next one, Mental Magic, I'll let you take it away with that one. Yeah, so Mental Magic was something I used to do all the time. Um, basically, you grab a random stack of cards, and everybody is going to draw off that stack and you're going to get to play down a lands uh, that can tap for any color and every card in that pile can be cast as any other card in magic that has the exact same casting cost as that card so if you have something that costs uh, one red, like let's say you have a lightning bolt, you can play that card as anything but a lightning bolt as long as it costs one red. So you can play it as a goblin, uh, a Mons Goblin Raiders if you want, or you can play it as uh, uh, a combat trick, uh, but it cannot be a lightning bolt. And so anytime you're playing Mental Magic, you're constantly thinking about an endless number of permutations for the cards in your hand to play around the things that your opponents are doing. It is a lot of fun. It makes you think. Uh, it's definitely aptly named Mental Magic because the more you know about magic, the better your odds will be of winning that game. Uh, especially knowing uh, obscure and oddball cards that have very uh, niche situations that suddenly you can keep in your hand, knowing which cards are more versatile than others so you can play out the ones that aren't and keep the ones that are. It's a lot of fun. Have you ever played it, Brennan? Yeah, I actually, when I uh, first got into playing Magic, I played it a fair amount with uh, some of my buddies and stuff. We, I feel like everyone has slightly different rules for Mental Magic. Um, so we played, you could play any card face down as a land that tapped for any color. Is that how you played it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I said you could play your land as a tap for any color, yeah, you played a card face down as a land, yeah. And then, so usually it was the oddball mana cost ones, but then we also played, you couldn't, no one could repeat a card. So, like, if you cast Lightning Bolt, I couldn't play Light. No one could play Lightning Bolt anymore. It was just one. You can only cast one of each card. And that's which... why formats like these are great, because I, I never played it that way. But that's a, a perfectly fine rule to add. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. 
Yeah, you wanted to go first and have a one blue card in your hand. Um, yeah, play Ancestral Recall. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to recall before you two do. I'm going to time walk before you do. Yeah. Um, that That's it, when it starts mattering if you know all the counter spells. <laughs> uh, f- like five blue blue became super relevant. That's a force of will. Um, uh, no, not five blue blue. Or three blue blue. You know what I but, mean. But five blue blue is better because that's commandeer. I don't know what that card does. I'll be honest <laughs> Commandeer steals a spell. Oh, it's a pitch card from uh, Cold Snap. You have to, uh, you remember like the uh, the Allosaurus and uh, the Soul Spike, the ones that you had to pitch colored cards from your hand to play it for free. Yeah, Commandeer was the blue one. You pitched two blue cards, and it was gain control of target spell. That's pretty sweet. But see that that's why Metal Magic is fun because I know weird cards like that. So essentially, the older you are, like Josh, the more right. apt you are to be good at this game. As long as your memory is good. Well, at least when it comes to magic. Yeah. Um, no, this format's a lot of fun. And if you're just ever bored sitting with your buddies, like I did this in high school a lot because we were broke. We had the same two standard decks to test against each other. And I didn't have good internet, so we can print off stuff and proxy it. So this is what I did with my buddies. We just grab a stack of cards and... Sometimes we'd play off the same deck. Sometimes we'd play off different decks. It didn't really matter. And uh, we'd go nuts. We also had weird rules, like you couldn't deck out. Like if you decked out, you just shuffled your graveyard. And that was your library again. Um, no, this was a very nostalgic uh, format for me. And I started playing way after a lot of my friends did. So I learned a lot of magic cards by playing Mental Magic. Good times. Yeah. Oh, uh, I never want to play that against you. Why? It's a lot of fun. You though. The, yeah. So the, the beauty of playing yeah. Mental Magic. Yeah, you know well, I, I know a lot of cards. But that doesn't mean, like, if you're, especially if you're playing with the you can only cast a spell once rule, you can burn cards out that you don't want your opponent to have access to. So you can actually burn out cards that might blow out something you're attempting to do. I mean, there, there's levels of strategy in this. The, also, the other big one is I want to play this... I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I want to play this one in a red spell for uh, lightning strike or some sort of removal spell and so you're holding it, you're holding it but then you go into combat and you find a better time to use it as a combat trick uh-huh. um, or sometimes even if you have a play you know like one in a black you know that there's every doom blade variant terror variant ever uh that you want to maybe you save that instead of playing a creature on turn two yep. because you don't want to give that up it's too valuable in the long run so no definitely fun one fun uh, iteration of this that you can do is that every card in the deck has to contain at least two colors of mana. Huh. That limits the number of cards that each card can be pretty dramatically, but it also um, requires you to think a bit harder about which and how, which spells and how you're going to use them and when uh, because of that limited pool. That's actually. One thing we used to do with all of our random nonsense multicolor cards is we'd shove them all in a stack and play Mental Magic off of that. So I just thought of something playing Mental Magic. How many times do I have problems remembering like 
standard card names or cards and decks that I play, and I just tell you what the card does. How often does that happen, Josh? Uh, quite frequently. Uh, we did, at least in our group, have a rule that you had to know what the card's <laughs> name was to play it. <laughs> Not, I, I'm playing this card, and it gives plus three zero and per strike. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, well, then then you don't get to play it. But you you don't necessarily have to. You could have, if you can describe the card exactly and then go look it up on your phone, That I mean, that, that would be fine, probably. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I was just thinking about that. I was like, man, I might be like a lot worse at this game than I used to be. Uh, going through our notes here, what do we got next? My computer's lagging out a little bit. I think bit. you're moving on to the stack. But I, I, I don't know if you ever played the stack. I did not play the stack. That is all you, buddy. So the stack, um, actually, we mixed in mental magic with that a lot too. The stack is where everyone's playing off of the stack or one deck, uh, and you actually have a second pile of lands, and you pull lands off of that pile. You get one a turn, and then you pull a card off of the deck. Usually, you don't start with a full seven cards in hand. We always started with four cards in hand, and then you would play cards from that shared pool. Similar to the way that Forgetful Fish works playing off of a, a single deck, it made a lot of... It, you also had a single graveyard, a single exile uh, zone. It made a lot of cards a little trickier to use because if you played something like uh, Living Death, for example, which uh, makes everybody sack all their creatures and then returns all the creatures that were in the graveyard before they sack their creatures to play, um, it was a weird sort of effect because whoever played it had priority which meant they got the effect they got all of the creatures <laughs> uh so some cards were absurdly overpowered in that fashion and then other cards were completely unplayable or really wonky in that fashion so we made sure to throw in lots of cards that had effects like memory lapse was a card that we used it there too because usually we played four players if i memory lapse somebody <laughs> the next player got to cast that card right no, there's uh that just reminded me of another uh single style. I've I don't remember the name of this format. I watched a couple videos on it. Um it's pretty popular in the judge community, uh as fan made formats seem to come out of the judge community quite a bit. Yep. But the whole point of this one is you have a shared deck and you play a game against someone, it's a giant deck, and you try to create um intricate board states and weird situations and the first one to mess up like how something works like an interaction works that's how yeah i actually just watched uh i don't remember the name of the youtube channel so i apologize but um i was just watching a a show where they played a couple of games of that and th that's the whole point of it is that you're trying to make your opponent screw up on a rule and once you screw up on a rule you're out yeah that's that's interesting. Um, that'd be a fun way to play too. So uh, that one. Uh, so the way that most people play that format, and I don't remember what it's called either, rules lawyer or something like that. Um, you have to do everything that you have the That's ability right. to do. So if you can take an action, you must take an action, and if you do not, you lose. So if, for example, you can attack with a creature, you must. If your opponent can block with a creature, they must. And so they use a whole bunch of different cards that um, 
mess with timing and 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 mess with everything. So it, maybe for instance, uh, I give a creature an ability that anyone can use, and then I go to attacks, and you say, okay, I'm going to block with too late. You lost. You didn't activate that ability. <laughs> so it, right. it's it's very very complicated, and uh, I'm sure most of those games have a lot of. Uh, Lost triggers that should have happened that got missed because it's super yeah. complicated. Yeah. Well, if both players, is it a draw or do you just go on? If you both, uh, I would. I I don't know. I I mean, it's a fan made format, so rules are up in the air. My my assumption would be that if both players miss something and then notice it later, both players get to move on. Fair enough. Oh, well, uh, moving on. Uh, we're gonna move on to the biggest. By far, fan-made format. The Mool and Bet, a lot of players don't realize is a fan-made format. Uh, also, made popular slash created by the Magic Judge community. And that is a little format came out in the, what, mid-2000s? Right? Uh, somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. Called Elder Dragon Highlander. A.K.A. Commander. Um, you know yeah. why it was called Elder Dragon Highlander, right? So I remember specifically uh, your old house by the high school. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to you and you explaining this format to me, explaining to me why it was called Elder Dragon Highlander, and then explaining to me what Highlander was. Yeah, because you're you're just a baby. But uh, for for those of you who don't know, Highlander uh, was a show. It's a mythos. Uh, Basically, there's a whole bunch of immortals running around the world, and they kill each other to, to gain each other's power, and they're basically pushed to fight each other with only one remaining. So their their motto is, there can be only one. So Highlander is just another way to say singleton in Magic. You can only have one copy of a card in your deck. Yeah, Elder Dragon, you can explain that one. You, I think yeah. you knew that one, didn't you? Well, that part I kind of figured. So the Elder Dragons were a cycle that came out. What set did the Elder Dragons come out in, Josh? They were in Legends. Legends, okay. So that's like the original Nicol Bolas and all the other three colored dragons. Name the other four colored dragons there, Brendan. Uh, Nicol Bolas. You got one. That's, that is correct, Nicol Bolas. And there's Nicol Bolas. And then there's uh, Palladium Mors, Arcady Sabbath. Chromium and Beavictus as Mazdi. Yeah, I I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. I'm not going to remember <laughs> magic cards I never cast. Okay, I think I cast the new version of Chromium when it got reprinted in like M19 or something like that. Well, fun fun story. They they actually did all five of those dragons in there, and all five of those were way better than the originals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The original Nicobolus guys, all of them suck. None of them were good. Um. But this was created in a time where there wasn't legendary creatures jammed in every set. Nope. They only made things legendary when it made sense. Uh, so playing EDH was a lot more restrictive. And uh, they started um, Sheldon Menry. I don't know if he did, like made the format, but he definitely popularized it. And this is during Grand Prix and Star City Games kind of prime where people are traveling around to all those and they would play and when they'd meet up again they would have them and start people start talking about online and on what's that old forum uh 
the big mad like there's a big magic forum that used to exist. I have no idea. I'm trying to think of the website's name. But anyways, one of forums and people wrote articles and yada yada yada. And then come two thousand eleven, uh Wizards of the Coast decided, hey, that seems like it'd be some money. We're gonna get ourselves some of that. And they made Commander an official format. They changed the name to Commander. And they uh yeah, started printing a bunch of commander cards. And it changed the face of magic forever. And what just started with some people playing the game they love in a different way, which is kind of crazy the more you think about it. C- Commander was something that was mainly used, you know, just as a bunch of friends playing around in between rounds at a tournament. Like, like this was not a a normal game format. It was something that you just played once in a blue moon, but it was so customizable. It gave you a use for cards that would have otherwise been completely unplayable. It, it just ended up hitting that spot. It allowed a lot of people to play magic in uh, very creative ways. And that's what magic's all about, really. Yeah. And it's interesting. If you guys ever go to the original ban list for, um, commander that's still i mean it's still same band list there's a lot of cards on there uh and when you look at it how it started they make a lot more sense like coalition victory was banned like i think any card that said i win the game was banned there for uh, a while. they've all been banned at some point uh, coalition victory was the uh, easiest one because you could play a five color commander yeah which seems weird because <laughs> There's a lot better instant wins than that nowadays, but it is weird they don't unban stuff. Um, and then we talked about this in our—I uh, don't know if we talked about it on air on our ban up our history of the ban list episode. But like the Power Nine wasn't originally banned; just no one played it because no one was trying to break the format like that. Yep. Well, I mean, it's completely casual format. There was no reason to ban it if you if you made a deck that was absurd and not fun to play against your buddies wouldn't let you play yeah well um, so no i mean i guess we don't have to talk about commander a whole lot just the history of the game super interesting it's really evolved some might say devolved into something totally different but it is the most popular way to play magic uh for better or worse it's changed the whole design philosophy of magic and it one really great thing i think it did that I think uh, other card games like Flesh and Blood will eventually have to do is they realized it was better for them to design for a casual audience, which, as much as I'm a competitive person, I like that to a point because it means the game is going to grow. You know, not everyone's... And there's these fun ways to go casually play. Um, So, I don't hate it, but definitely... It's definitely interesting because I started playing before Commander was a sanctioned format. I remember when they released the original Commander decks that had cards, and then that changed the whole face of Legacy and Vintage forever because they were legal there for whatever reason. I mean, I get why, but yeah. Then you have, like, the initiative. Well, you, you, you had cards like True Name Nemesis that changed things up completely, and uh, I mean... Yes, Commander cards have changed Magic forever, but Commander is 
way more popular than any other version of Magic right now. I think any other version, any version of Magic would ever be, my personal opinion. Um, Probably. Just because it's so casual. You know, uh, I ran into a buddy of high school of mine at the uh, game store in my hometown. And we're talking, and he plays Flesh and Blood. He topped Ford, the big Flesh and Blood event at that store this last weekend. And uh, he plays Pokemon there every once in a while. And I was like, do you play Magic? And uh, he's like, well, you know, when a new set comes out, I buy some packs. Because me and the wife both have Commander decks, so we update here and there. Yep. And that's and that's how he engages with Magic now. You know, and he was never a big Magic player before. We didn't really play together in high school or anything. Like, I knew he knew how to play, but they have some Commander decks laying around, so they get together with their buddies. Every other month, they play some Magic cards, and it's a good time. So, uh, that'll always make it interesting. And there's been other people that have tried to successfully or unsuccessfully tweak slash cash in on the popularity of Commander. Um, the biggest one was Brawl. When Brawl came out, that was made by Wizards. That's not a fan-made format. Um, but that was intentionally to kind of try to cash in on this craze. And it pretty much only exists on Magic Arena now. Yeah. and I, I don't know anybody that plays Brawl in paper. No one plays on Magic Online, I can tell you that much. At all. I don't think I've ever seen anyone in the Brawl room. Um, Historic Brawl is a lot of fun, though, on Magic Arena. I'll give them that. COVID probably had a decent amount of effect to that, because I think it came out during... Uh, what's that was Oko in? Throwing a bell train. Yeah, which was not that long, and that's when Brawl came out, I do believe. But before all that, there was Tiny Leaders that came out circa 2013, no, 2014, 2015. I actually built a Tiny Leaders deck at one point when I lived out in Vegas. Um, that's Commander, but your cards can only cost uh, three or less. I can't remember if it's your cards or your... Um... It's, ju- it's just all your Thassa's Oracle combo. Yeah. Thassa's Oracle. <laughs> Oracle wasn't a card then. Um, it was weird. Everyone talked about it for like a, a two weeks. And then no one played it. And they just went yep. back to playing Commander. Um, but it, it, same thing. It cost some traction online. Some people made it. They liked it and talked about it on the internet. And it spread. Um, and the most recent one uh, is Oathbreaker. Have you looked into that format at all? Yeah, Oathbreak. So Oathbreaker is trying to do what Commander originally did, which is give people a lot of creativity uh, by building a deck around a specific card. Except this time, it's with a spell and a commander instead of just a commander. You also play sixty card uh, decks, so you have smaller decks, more consistent. Still singleton though. Yeah, and then. Your commander is a planeswalker, or your oathbreaker, excuse me. Correct. Yeah, you have one oathbreaker, you have one signature spell, and um, your signature spell must have the same color identity as your oathbreaker, so it's not like partner where they can be two different colors. Um, And it's singleton, and they have a 58 main card deck. It's billed to be... um, Three to five players is what it's designed to play for. Yep. Um, and Wizards recently said that this is an official format. I don't know how much support they're going to put out for it. Uh, 
but I do think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of uh, CADH and EDH uh, YouTubers and stuff like that. When they're going to events, they start, they're bringing one Oathbreaker deck in case people want to play. So, um, I think Oathbreaker is pretty deep. Again, it does the same thing that Commander does. It just adds an extra layer to it with now you've got a spell in the mix. The The Planeswalker is kind of cool too. I mean, it, it's not really terribly different than than Commander, uh, play-wise, but it gives you a few more, you know, new decks that you can try out, so. Yeah, and there seems to be a fair, uh, interesting ban list, we'll say. Um, and it definitely, when you first look at the ban list, I'm like, oh, that doesn't make that much sense. And then you remember that, uh, you know, you get to play a spell as a commander, essentially. So I mean, yep. you need to recast it over and over again. Um, so first off, Soul Ring's banned in this format. Soul Ring, um, Time Wonk, obviously, Tinker, Tooth and Nail, but then uh, Upheaval's banned, which is kind of, that would be funny. Uh, High Tide's banned, Expropriate, Doomsday. Oh, I didn't even think about Doomsday. That'd be sick. Yeah. Uh, Dark Ritual Channel, Biorhythm, Balance, Ad Nauseum, Ancestral Recall, uh, Gifts Ungiven. So, yeah, no. Um, Jeweled Lotus is banned, Mana Crypt's banned. They really want you to, like, play real fair magic with this format, I guess. Natural Order. Well, I've watched uh, a handful of games of uh, that format, and if you have competitive decks, those games usually end on turn two or three. So, they, yes, they did some good work in uh, trying to slow it down, but if they, if you really want it to be slowed down, there's an awful lot of things that are still pretty busted when you get to cast the same spell many times. Um, the Goto deck uh, uses the, the one red... Um, uh, attachment spell. I don't remember what it's called, but it, mm -hmm. it attaches an equipment for one red. Mm -hmm. So they drop Goto, go get a Helm of the Host, and just attach their equipment immediately. But Goto can't be your commander. Uh, yeah, but you can use Luka. Mm. And guess what Luka can go get when all of your deck is, you know, one drops. Fair. Yeah. So that that's what I'm saying. Like I know that they attempted to pull out a bunch of the power and I do appreciate that. There's still some pretty busted decks. Uh I saw a Tybar Glimpse of Nature deck. It was pretty disgusting. Um th there's some pretty good stuff you can do. Yeah. They're um I don't know. That's on my list of decks to make. I think having an Oathbreaker deck around would be fun. The nice thing is is it's not a hundred cards. Sometimes when I'm trying to build a medium-ish power level commander deck, I just want to build it with cards I have access to. I don't want right. to go digging through everything or ordering this, you know, because I don't play that much commander. I just want it for when I go to events or if I'm at the games where other people are playing. So it being less cards and, um, you know, there's less multicolor commanders. 
maybe that will be something we'll do. We should make them a, the round of the bad Modern Horizons 2 commanders that see zero play in any format. Sure. Another Could record. be fun. Yeah. But speaking of getting things competitive, um, there are some more competitive fan-made formats uh, that there's tournament support for in certain places. And the first one, and probably the oldest one, or second oldest one, we'll say, is Canadian Highlander. Canadian Highlander is a singleton format that came out uh, quite some time ago. Um, I mean, it's been around a, a bit. I've never actually played Canadian Highlander, though. Um, I haven't played it either, but I've watched it play. So it's a singleton deck. There is no ban list. But each card, certain cards have points, like a point value. Um, I do believe is how that works. And uh, you can uh, you can only have X amount of uh, X amount of points. So like uh, the example from when this article was wrote on the Wizards main page. Was Demonic Tutor is worth four ten points you can have. Vampiric Tutor is worth three points. And um, Soul Ring is worth uh, four points. And you can only have up to ten points with the cards, so you can't have all three of those in your deck. So they use that to balance it out. Um, it's a an lot interesting of cards... method of balancing. Yeah, you know, you can have broken things, but not all the broken things. Yeah, and maybe um, you can't have the right quantity of broken things to do, you know, exactly what you want, so you gotta improvise. I, I kinda like that. Yeah. Um I'll I'll read through real quick. Like this is here. Oh, that website doesn't exist anymore. This is as of two thousand sixteen. I don't know if this has changed or not. Um but demonic tutor is four points, tinker is five, mystical tutor is two. Fabricate is one. Soul Ring is four. Mana Crypt is two points. Uh, Black Lotus is six. Each of the Moxin is three points apiece. Mana Vault is one point. Time Vault is seven points. Recall is five points. Balance is one point. Strip Mine is three points. And Hermit Druid is five points. So. Yeah. Seems to check out. Um, Everybody there's... always forgets about Hermit Druid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, busted. There's more cards than that. I think that it's on the list. Uh, that's just an example um, that they had on here to kind of give everyone an idea. You know, I'm willing to bet a lot of people don't play Black Lotus in that format. Besides the fact of not owning a Black Lotus, just because it's six points. Yeah, that's a lot have, of points. Yeah, you could have two Moxen instead, for example. I um, bet you Hermit Druid sees play. I'm sure it does. There's a uh, Try to remember the YouTube channel. They were playing some decks against each other, and they were very themed. Um, so it's called—it's a Highlander format, obviously. So you can have one of each non-basic land, or one of everything besides basic land. And there's no commander. There's no other restrictions. It's a very high power level format, and it's a one v one format, and it's built to be competitive. It's, that's what it's designed for. Um, I know certain areas. This is a very very popular way to play Magic. Um, it's something I'd be interested in trying for sure. Kind of seems up my alley. Uh, I like CEDH a fair amount. I jumped into that a little bit. Um, for more of a watching 
standpoint. But this seems like it could be a lot of fun. Um, Worth giving it a shot. Yeah. What do we got next? Well, we got peasant on the list. I'll let you talk. I'll let you talk about peasant. Then I'll I'll interject my little bit at the end. Peasant and also Pauper, which are two different formats. Pauper was actually created on Magic Online um, using Magic Online's cards that had uh, common rarity. uh, And it has grown since then. Pauper's probably played a bit more than Peasant these days, but Peasant was where this came from. And it was originally created as a format. It's called Peasant because the idea was that you can play it for a very cheap amount of money. In Peasant, you have to construct a deck of com- uh, completely commons, um, except you can use five uncommons. How they came up with that number, I don't know. I still don't understand. It's kind of weird to me. Uh, but you have to craft decks using these cards. And there's actually a lot of really good commons. So you can still draft, or not draft, uh, create some pretty powerful decks out of only commons uh with the uncommons thrown in there you could make some pretty fun stuff uh, i know i played in the very first ever peasant tournament that was held at gen con and i showed up with uh four berserks as my uncommons and a green stompy deck and it was a heck of a lot of fun there were burn decks there were control decks there were combo decks there were uh mostly monocolored it turns out when you're using uh only commons your color fixing is uh not great at least back then uh, but you did have some pretty powerful decks games games were fast and furious uh they were competitive a lot of crazy cards that kind of came out of the woodwork that you maybe wouldn't have thought were good cards cards like death spark it's not a card that sees a whole lot of play but in in a commons only format death spark was pretty good Killed a lot of stuff, keep kept coming back. Uh, it's a card that you can uh, get back from your graveyard for a mana on your upkeep. So it, it was a lot of fun. That's what led into Pauper on Magic Online, which is quite popular. And there are a lot of very competitive Pauper tournaments. Uh, and it all stemmed from Peasant. The Peasant was... Peasant might have been the first magic tournament I ever played in. Um, I do believe it was. Uh, I played cat magic very casually when I was a young kid, like with my cousin. I thought like Wellwisher and Blanchwood something was like the most busted cards on the planet. <laughs> super, super casual, okay. Um, and so, uh. I stopped in to War Games North, uh, where Josh works, when I was 16 to look at some comic books. And there was a bunch of people sitting at tables, and Jeff, the owner, was sitting behind the counter. And I said, what are those guys doing? And he's like, they're playing uh, this game called Magic the Gathering. I said, oh, I played that before. And he's like, here's this bag full of random cards, like a like a plastic sandwich bag, uh, like mostly commons and uncommons. And he was like, there's a tournament tomorrow, and you can come play. And, uh, you know, build the deck out of this. It's called Peasant. You can have up to five uncommons. And I understood how the common thing worked. And I went home and built a blue-white merfolk deck that was also probably a block-constructed deck. 
from Lorwyn, or yeah, from Lorwyn Block, and uh, showed up the next day, and fourteen years later, here we are. So, uh, peasant definitely has a special place in my heart from that. Uh, the first few decks I built were peasant, and and obviously, but it's uh. It's a format that doesn't see enough love anymore. Um, do you care to tell us what year it was when you first played Peasant? Uh, I, my memory is hazy, but it was in the early 2000s. 2001, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. It was 2001. I looked it up online. Was it 2001? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you at home, that's... Uh, that was the year I graduated high school, by the way. Isn't that the year 9-11 happened? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Fun side note, I, I do remember sitting at home and watching that happen, too. I do as well. Crazy to think there's less people listening to this who weren't, weren't alive then. Weren't even a twinkle in their, their parents' eye. Yeah, it's uh, probably a good thing. That was not a great day. That was not a great day at all. Um, I was not graduating high school that year. I was in third grade when that happened, because I am a young man compared to Josh. That's why we hang out. It makes me feel good. Moving on from the sad stuff, though. The next one's Tribal. Uh, this is something you've played a lot more than I have, so I'll let you talk about it a little bit. Yep. So Tribal was another format uh, way, way back when. Unsurprisingly, it turns out when you make a bunch of cool tribes like Merpolk and Dragons and Goblins, uh, people want to shove them all together. So Tribal is a format where you construct a deck. Uh, there is a special ban list for it where they take out a whole bunch of the very anti-tribal cards like extinction and things like that that specifically hose creature types since it's all about creature types you have to build a deck uh with at least 20 creatures and um almost all of those creatures i don't remember the exact percentage but it was uh i think uh two-thirds or maybe it was 80 percent of the creatures have to be of the same creature type so obviously this led to a lot of elf decks goblin decks merfolk decks etc but it also led to a lot of other really cool things like you know that one guy that showed up with his octopus deck or the spiders deck or whatever it may be and it was a lot of fun to see how some of these cards could work uh in a format where it was heavily creature based um some of these decks were actually kind of interesting uh, you didn't have as much uh, versatility with your cards because it was very, very heavily creature-based. And there also were some pretty powerful linear decks, like Goblins was goblins and Elves were nigh unbeatable uh, when there weren't a lot of good spell-related options for killing them. Um, but barring that, like you, you could play some pretty fun decks. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I've made many a many a tribal deck over the years. A lot of my commander decks end up being honorary tribal decks, uh, as do a lot of people's. I, I'm pretty sure uh, I've seen more tribal commander decks than uh, than otherwise. Yeah, it's uh, there's some stores that even host like tribal commanders a format uh, now, and um. A lot of people, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's like nah, they get to identify with this group, kind of. But a lot of people really like tribal stuff. And usually when they pick a tribe, they stick with it. You know, there's, even in more competitive formats, we've all met that Goblins player that's playing Goblins about 10 years after he should be. 
or the Murphy or that, player. Or that Slivers player. Yeah, or like, yeah, yeah. There's always one. So that's definitely a cool format um, that I wish would, would see more and uh, play. You should talk, Jeff, to running a tribal tournament on a Saturday sometime. Uh, we, we've done tribal tournaments before. It's been a while. Yeah, like since George Bush was president or something. I don't know. Maybe not that long. <laughs> okay, Obama, you got me. Uh, uh, moving on, the next one is probably the one big enough, picking up the most traction. Uh, it will never be sanctioned, I'm pretty sure, no matter how popular it gets. And that is pre-modern. Pre-modern is a format for... Um, Older franchise players and franchise players, excuse me. And it is everything from fourth edition or not fourth edition. What is it? Scourge back? Right. Somewhere in that ballpark. I don't know the exact set that it goes back from. So modern got its name because it's all everything in the modern card frame was legal originally when that format came out. So this is everything without a well. Modern... Mirrodin was the first set with the modern card frame, and Scourge was the or Onslaught rather was the block before that Onslaught Legion Scourge. So okay, it must and be Scourge or a Scourge that's, and that's Briar. Correct, by the way. Eighth edition was the first set that was modern framed. Okay, technically that's true. Okay. I just like being right against you and some stuff. Some every once in a while. That 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 is technically true. It makes me feel good. Um, obviously, it has its own ban list. Um, so it's fourth edition through Scourge, so you don't get the the broken stuff from before. You don't get the power nine. Um, I don't even know how to say this card. Amulet of Quaz. Yep. What does that card do, Josh? Oh, is it an anti card? Anti card. Okay, all the anti cards are banned. Uh, Balance is banned. Brainstorm is banned. Channel. Goblin Recruiter, Grimonolith, Force of Will is banned, which I thought was interesting the first time I learned that. Um, because Force of Will, a lot of players that like playing older sets are also players that like casting Force of Will. So that's an interesting one. Um, Flash is banned. Mana Vault, Mind Twist, Mystical Tutor, Time Sprayle, Tenders of Agony, Tempest Efreet. Uh, another uh, anti card. Okay. I was like, man, I haven't heard some of these. That that makes sense. Necropotence obviously is banned. Um, Strip Mine, Vampiric Tutor, Telerian Academy, Windfall, World Gorger Dragon, Yogmoth's Bargain, Yogg's Will. To give you guys an idea, um, a lot of people in the Legacy community, though, uh, play this deck or play this format quite a bit. Mike Flores, uh, pretty. Well-known magic writer. This is all he tweets about, pretty much. Uh, he hosts events, I want to say, in the New York area. And uh, kind of talks about what the local meta is and all that stuff. And it's for older players that... But it's a competitive format. They're, you know, they're playing control decks. Mangucci's played this before and talked about it. He has his deck built. Um, I didn't play a whole lot then, so I'm not connected to a lot of these cards. But for a lot of players like yourself, I imagine this was something you would enjoy. 
Oh yeah, right? I mean, there's I I took a look at a lot of the uh, the deck lists in there, and man, that just brings back memories. So, you know, survival, uh, recurring nightmare decks, and mono brown, uh, just like there, there's a lot of fun stuff in there that I remember. Yeah, well, it's interesting too because it's an interesting stage in Magic because spells were super strong. Like I don't. think i was dragon which is a combo card it's not really a creature um that's the only creature on the ban list i think yeah everything else is spells because creatures kind of sucked back then um but it made gameplay a whole lot different than it does now when uh whenever you watch the old world championships or pro tours and stuff from these older eras you can definitely see it and then uh, i imagine um it feels quite a bit different and a lot of people um, have taken this, and I've seen a new version of Legacy that they had a lot of Legacy content creators. They asked them to come up, and it was Legacy without any supplemental product. So no Modern Horizon sets, no Commander sets, none of that. Just standard format sets them back. Um, so Legacy... And it all kind of groups in with this. Obviously, it's different, but it stems off from the same group of players. Um, doo -doo -doo. I guess I uh, kind of skipped this. Uh, another recent format that was recognized as Gladiator, which is a recognized format because it's on Magic Arena. And from my understanding, that was a... The Canadian Highlander players during COVID wanted to play, so they played on uh, Arena and made their own ban list and everything. And Wizards picked it up and ran with it, and I thought that was pretty cool, worth mentioning. I also wanted to uh, talk about 9394 as a format. Um, if you ever get to watch gameplay of it in person, you should. And like when I was at MagicCon Philly, like they had a 9394 event, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's Cards that were legal in ninety or that were printed in ninety three ninety four, which sets were printed in ninety three ninety four. Do you know? Arabian Nights, Antiquities, Legends, um, and then Alpha Beta Unlimited. Okay, so all those cards. So you see people playing like four Black Lotus, a set of Moxen to cast their Shiv and Dragon. That's a real thing. It's uh, it's interesting. There's no restricted list either. I don't think. I think it's just everything's legal. It's like, who cares if you draw three cards? It's a busted format. Yeah. Ooh, what are you going to do? Draw more shipping dragons? Uh, anyways, that's, uh, yeah, that's a little too rich for my blood. On some Facebook groups I'm a part of, you see people playing that in like, their backyard barbecuing in card with like actual cards unsleeved and stuff. That's how they've been playing with their friends for the last 30 years. Uh, good for them, but uh, screw that. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that is a kind of a crazy format. I, I really don't understand how there's more than like one or two decks because even though there are, and I see uh, lots of people playing different piles, I, I don't understand how you're not just playing some of these absolutely most absurd busted cards ever. Yeah, there's no fetch lands, but all the duels, all the boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, maybe Channel's banned? 
I don't know. I'm sure they got to have some sort of ban and restricted list. Otherwise, the decks would just be uh, four recalls and time walks and demonic tutors and, you know. Hang on. We're going to find out. Um, old school. Oh, why did none of these websites work? Hang on. Uh-huh. Oh, everyone, I guess there's like some have restricted cards, some have banned cards, some don't. I think anti-cards are still legal. I don't think anti-cards are legal in any format. Ever. Because I don't think anti-cards are legal. Um, no, they, they decided pretty quickly that they didn't want anti-cards in their game. Okay, maybe it does have a restricted format now, and I was wrong. Um, which is, you know, the busted stuff. But there's like three different rule sets, four different rule sets. Huh. Well, I mean, again, it's a fan-made thing, and that's going to be a, a trend with fan-made formats, is they don't necessarily have a super official rule set, because, well, it's however you play it. Yeah, and for those of you guys at home, I know we're kind of going through these rather quickly, and some of these we're touching on lately, because, like, I'll never play 93-94, um, because I am way too poor to play that format. Um, but I'm going to try to remember to include links to all the articles that are in here, and uh, that way you can check them out, find out what you, what you want on your own. But that wraps up the first part, the constructed part, but there is uh, multiple ways to play limited that maybe you oh. didn't know about. But wait, there's more. Oh, uh, that's a very salesman thing that I should have said there. I missed. I missed my shot. I know. Um, the first limited format's the most obvious. Uh, which I guess it's obvious, but it's not obvious. Um, it's an officially recognized format, kinda. Um, and that's cube draft. Cube draft is technically a fan-made format, and every cube is uniquely made. Uh, what's the history of Cube? Did Cube start on Magic Online? Is that like its history? Uh, or it... No, no, Cube did not start on Magic Online. It got adopted into Magic Online fairly quickly, but I am rather sure that that was uh, created before it was on Magic Online. Yeah, and I guess for people at home, we've talked about Cube a fair amount. It's one of the ways I like to play the game. I know you like to play that way. Uh, we mostly play it online. Uh, so Cube is a draft set that someone curates. Um, what's the normal number of cards? 600 some, right? Uh, 600 is a nice, healthy number for a Cube. It, it, cubes vary. They could be any size uh, as long as they can support the number of players it's intended for. Uh, but you usually want an overflow pool, so 600 is usually the number. Yeah, the minimum you need usually... We need uh, 45 cards times 8 players. What's that? 320... Uh, 360. 360 cards. Yeah. 360 is the the minimum, but the issue then is every draft you can see every card. So a lot of people like to go up to 500-something, or sometimes they double it. Um, Vintage Cube's the most popular one. That's what they call a fully powered cube because it has all the power 9 in it. Um, but then there's a bunch of different cubes on Arena. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the Arena cubes have been pretty fun, even though I don't play on Arena a whole bunch when they come on. They're pretty unique. A lot of them have different themes. 
Um, and traditionally, this isn't always the case, but traditionally cubes have one of each card. Uh, sometimes they break that rule. There was uh, the one on uh, Magic Online they had towards the end of last year where they had multiple fetch lanes. Um, but cubes really blown up. KubeCon's a thing. We should go to KubeCon this year, by the way. When is it? It is... It's in Wisconsin. October 19th through the 22nd. Okay. That could be fun. Yeah, it's just a bunch of people bring their cubes to Madison, Wisconsin and play cubes all weekend. Um, I'll copy this and link that there to you. I know we've had guests before on here talking about that. I would have blast doing that. Yeah. So you play cube a lot. I'll let you dive into it. You definitely played a lot more than I have. I mean, cube is a super fun format because it is going to, uh, you can kind of make your, well, not kind of, you can make your cube do whatever you want your cube to do. You can have very consistent, uh, consistent cubes that do the exact same things every single time. You can have super wide open ones. Uh, you can have very, very limited ones that feel like they'd be not fun to play, but, uh, you know, it just depends on how you build them. Uh, I've seen pauper cubes. I've seen commander cubes. I've seen all legends cubes. I've seen spell matters cubes. I've seen Grixis cubes. I've, uh, it, it's all about how you build your cube. So when you put together a cube, you're going to select a theme for your cube. Uh, cube. You're going to pick some deck types. You're going to fill those deck types out loosely. And then you're going to throw in um, a few extra cards maybe that you feel like putting in there. Maybe some mana fixing, maybe some mana ramp, maybe some card draw removal. Uh, and then you're going to break those up into booster packs and people are going to draft and they're going to see what they can build out of what you thought they were going to build. Uh, the, my most enjoyable cubes that I played are probably the fully powered vintage cubes because for a few reasons. One, I don't own any of those cards because they're ultra expensive and it's fun to play with them. <laughs> uh, and two, it's kind of fun once in a while just to do some absurdly broken stuff with cards that are banned for good reason uh, in a deck where you probably shouldn't be able to play with those cards. You know, doing things like casting Channel Emrakul on turn one. Once in a while, that feels pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I lose every time I draft the Channel deck. Like, I win one game and feel real good and I go 0-3 drop. Every time. Um, I, I I love drafting Storm decks in Vintage Cubes. Uh, I draft at least two or three Storm decks every time they have a Vintage Cube on uh, Magic Online. And I'd say I probably have like a 10% win rate with those decks. <laughs> yeah. um, but those 10% are dominating wins. They are really big. Uh, I have also drafted many a Storm deck where I didn't get a win condition, and then I just literally conceded the match before I started playing because my deck couldn't win. Uh, but that's part of the fun. is It's it's all about drafting these uh, very powerful decks in a limited format. Um, yeah, if you haven't ever played Cube, go play Cube on Arena or on Magic Online. Uh, really doesn't even matter which cube it is. They all have their own little perks and benefits. Like there's, you know, format cube, standard, legacy, modern, vintage. There's uh, very thematic cubes. Like I said, tribal cubes and legends cubes and 
pick one that sounds like fun, go in there and start building the deck. One nice thing about cube, every card in the cube was put there for a reason. So you're not going to have any cards in the cube that, you know, are just blanks. Every card is playable. And you can jump off of whatever deck you're building pretty easily in a cube because every card is playable. So if you start drafting, say, a reanimator deck and you just don't get the pieces you need, yeah, you lost five or six or seven picks, but all the picks you took are playable cards. So just jump into a different deck. So Splinter Twins like one of my favorite things to do of all time. And that's sure. like, the easiest thing to speculate. And, you yep. know, oh, there's a Splinter Twin. I'll just grab that. There's nothing else in this pack. Put it in my sideboard. Oh, there's a Deceiver Exarch, and the next thing you know, you have some Jeskai Control deck. But while we're on the topic of this, I guess we will get into probably a fairly debated subject that my mind's been changed multiple times on. And that is, and I'll say my pick first, and you can say what yours is. Um, the most, like, pack one, pick one, the best card in Vintage Cube. And I used to say it was Ancestral Recall, and I used to say it was Black Lotus. But it is most definitely Soul Ring. It's Soul Ring. Like, and it's always uh, been Soul Ring. Soul Ring, like, I didn't realize it until I built a deck that just played bad four mana Planeswalkers. I mean, they weren't bad, but compared to what I was playing against, they were bad. But when you play four mana Planeswalkers on turn one or two consistently every game, you know, I went 3 0 with some bullcrap blue white deck. So, yeah. Um, Soul Ring by far. That's my, that's my two cents on that. Uh, Twitter come at me. I ain't scared. So Soul Ring is probably the best card in a fully powered vintage cube. It really is just that good. Yet another reason why it probably ought to get banned in Commander, even though it never will. Um after that it's probably Ancestral Re no no, it's Mana Crypt. Then it's probably I... Ancestral Recall Black Lotus, but Yeah. No agreed. Um I've never played our next two limited formats, though our next one I have a pile of cards, and I'm ready to go. Um, the, but I'll let you kind of dive in on these. Explain what they are. Well, I'll start with Backdraft, which I know isn't the next one. That's not the one you were talking about. But uh, Backdraft is something I used to do when I was younger and absolutely love doing it. Uh, it takes a lot of skill to do it well. Uh, what Backdraft is, is you'll do a draft. It can be any kind of draft. doesn't matter. It can be... A cube draft, even it, it could be whatever draft. It could be the newest set, it could be a cube, it could be however you want to do it. Your goal is going to be to draft the most unplayable pile of cards you can. You're trying to draft the worst possible deck that you can draft. And when you're done, you're going to give that pile of 45 cards to somebody else who has also done that same thing. And they're going to be distributed randomly. And then you'll build a deck out of that. So you'll try to make the most playable deck out of the pile of junk that you got. And then you'll play matches. Uh, but it's not just about who wins anymore. Now it's a point-based system. So if you win your round, you'll get a point. But you'll also get a point if the deck you built loses. So it's a pretty fun way to play Magic. You're going to play with a lot of cards that you were not intending on playing with. <laughs> um, because you don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you're going to be struggling to cast spells because they drafted too many colors. You're going to be casting very inefficient spells. Uh, but it's kind of fun because you're going to get to play with some of these cards and maybe find some benefit out of these cards that you just never really realized before because you've never bothered to touch the card because it's just not good. Uh, you situationally, some of these cards might actually be pretty impressive. Uh, and, and it's kind of fun to play that way. Uh, it's it's a laughable, enjoyable kind of experience where everyone's probably giggling a bit. Haha, <laughs> you, you have to play with sinkhole, or not sinkhole, uh, mud hole, or, uh, you know, something like that. It, it's It's neat. I'm down to play any format where Visitrix is a good card. Um, Visidrix would actually be a reasonable card, uh, in, in a backdraft format because it doesn't have any downsides. What yeah. you're aiming to draft when you draft this are cards that have ridiculous downside, but then don't draft anything that supports them. So like, that, that's the plan when you get these is you want to have cards like leveler or, um, <laughs> Eater of days, you know things like that, without any way to cast them, without them using the the downside, and so then they just simply can't use those cards. They end up putting those on their board, and they have to play the other stuff you draft, and then you draft stuff like chimney imp, you know, five mana, one two flyers, you know, things like that. Really, really strong cards. Imagine, imagine taking a like leveler as your pack one pick one. So I imagine that's a pretty strong card in that format. Ah, uh, one of the best, I'm sure. <laughs> then, like, getting uh, the Jace or Thassa's Oracle as your last screw card. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. See, Whoa. I actually think it'd be fun to build a cube with this in mind. And then what you do is you throw in things like Stifle. Stifle is a, you know, pretty playable card. Um... But it also turns on a lot of these other completely unplayable cards, so you're like dodging the stifle a lot of the times, or you're you're picking up the stifle when it won't, you know, make your deck better. Like I actually think it'd be fun to build a cube like that. That would be interesting. Um, speaking of playing black cards, let's jump into our last one. Reject rare draft. This one's kind of neat because um, it's the. Basically, everybody who wants to do a reject rare draft brings 45 bulk rares. Doesn't matter what they are, they just grab 45 random bulk rares. Uh, it's important that they are bulk rares, worth very little to nothing. Uh, you shuffle all those bulk rares together, you make 15 card packs out of them, and then you draft decks. And when you're done, you just go home with whatever you drafted. Because they're bulk rares, nobody's going to be concerned about getting their cards back. Uh, it's a really fun way, again, to play with a bunch of cards that otherwise would see no play. So, cards that might actually be pretty good, but just don't have any monetary value, are great candidates for this. Like, creatures that, you know, are really strong and limited can be bulk rares. They might, they might only be worth five cents, but, you know, they're a powerhouse when you actually play them. Yeah, I think this format, because, like, I have a bunch of cards from what I was sorting... Um, just rares that aren't worth more than 50 cents. Um, and like, there's a, there's quite a bit that's probably like super, super good and limited. Like I mean, all the bombs, like every limited bomb ever has been a 50 cent rare. I feel like at least in pretty course. much like, so I imagine removal is like at a super premium 
because there's not a whole lot of bulk rare removal laying around. You'd be any? surprised. There's there's a decent amount of bulk rare removal. Um, remember, there, there's a lot of bad wraths, and I call them bad wraths because they're not as good as you know the ones that get played in tourneys that cost five or six mana. They're still limited powerhouses. There's a lot of uh, one that one downside is most removal is not rare. Uh, single target removal is not rare, but there right. is a lot of single target removal at rare that isn't good enough for constructed. And so therefore doesn't have a price tag on it. Uh, I remember from Ravnica, there was like sever uh, or no, that was in a sever the soul four mana. You get to kill a creature. It had flashback exile a creature and all copies of it. Um, there was the seize, or no, I was thinking seize the soul from Ravnica. That's four mana. It gets to kill a creature. You get to uh, do the haunted effect and get the mm. effect again. Uh, like there, there's, there's enough. There's a bunch of red burn spells at rare that you know aren't quite constructed playable that are plenty good. A bunch of axe spells, devil's play, and things like that. Like devil's play doesn't have a price tag on it. Yeah, it's fair. I guess I didn't think about all of those, but. That seems fun, uh, mostly because I have a bunch of bulkers and nothing to do. And uh, that seems like a good beer-drinking format, like bringing the buddies over, crack a couple cold ones. Yep. That seems like a good time. Absolutely. So, that wraps up our list of uh, our favorite slash what we think are the most interesting uh, fan-made formats. We definitely miss some. There's a whole bunch of them out there. There's a million oh, yeah. to play this game. Uh, I think what it comes down to, there's two or three things that make fan formats very interesting. Deck building um, in various different ways. You know, it's like from Oathbreaker to Cube, a lot of times I enjoy Cube drafting way more than I play, care about playing the games. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Then there's uh, everything from Forgetful Fish to uh, Peasant. And Tribal, they all make you play with cards you might not usually get to play with. There's, what, 20,000 plus magic cards? There's a lot. There's more than that. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of different ways to, uh, a lot of different cards that maybe you don't get to play on a normal basis. And some are really good, and you'll feel differently about them. Um, and the last reason is probably nostalgia. Uh, stuff like pre-modern. 93, 94. Um, just, it's a kind of a flashback to whenever you started playing. Um, and so there's a lot of great favorite formats are. You can tweet at us at TOFA podcast, or you can send us an email TOFA podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm going to try to link articles to most of these down below. Um, anything you want to add in before we get out of here? Oh, I think that's it. Well, thanks for listening guys. Uh, we're going to start being more consistent with our schedule. I say that we'll see. My golf league starts in like two weeks, so maybe, maybe not. Um, this episode was a lot of fun. I like doing ones like this. We should do it more often. Uh, we'll probably have to talk about a pro tour here in a week or two, though. So until next time, guys, have a great week. We'll talk to you then.